was probably about 12 years old, and uh, we went over to my grandparents one evening. And this wasn't uncommon because they, growing up, my grandparents lived like two miles away. So we went over to their house a lot. They came to our house a lot. I spent a lot of time going to uh, spend time with family. Uh, but this was a unique situation because probably for weeks and even maybe months leading into uh, this evening, tension had been building. Tension had been mounting. And at that age, I don't even know if I really understood everything that was going on. I just knew that when we were together, there was something different, something off, something uncomfortable that just continued to get a little bit more extreme, a little bit worse every time we saw them. And it really wasn't my grandparents. It was, it was this tension between my uncle and my parents. And the reality is, is that uh, this evening was the culmination of that tension. So my uncle and my dad were business partners and through economic circumstances and decisions and, and over time, they had to come to the conclusion and the decision to close their business and that had devastating impact on their relationship and our family and, and it impacted in that moment, in that evening with arguments and screaming and crying and at 12 years old, I learned one thing, that money was divisive and dangerous. And maybe each of us has our own story especially when it is related to finances or wealth or money. Each of us has our different experiences. Maybe if you're used to having pressures from your parents, right? Because your parents were successful and they wanted you to be success successful and, and you always had to go to the right schools and, and get the good grades and find the right jobs and do the right internships and, and make enough money so that not only would you be satisfied, but they would be satisfied. Maybe it's the reverse. And you grew up with the tension and the pressure of your parents filling you with the sense that we were never going to have enough. We can barely make ends meet. It doesn't matter if the paycheck comes, the bills are coming faster. We're just going to have to settle for this. And the power gets shut off or the water gets shut off or you don't really know when the next meal is coming. Maybe it's somewhere in between for you but you have this sense of guilt and wherever stage of life you're in that you should have more. You should, you should be saving more. You should be investing more. You have shame over the way that you're spending your money and, and shouldn't you have a budget at this age? And, and what does it look like? And, and the frivolous things that you spend your money on and maybe the fact that you can't afford less frivolous things. See, the reality is, is that whether you're 19 or 99, finances, money, wealth, it's all continuing to barrage us in our culture. Right? We have these constant messages that we need more, that we should be living a different life, that we should be striving, that we should be earning, that we should be saving, that we should be investing, that we should be building wealth. Just on my drive in this morning, I noticed there was a billboard for uh, an insurance broker, a bank who's going to give you a bonus for opening up a new account. There were five lawyers for injuries and accidents saying they could get you your money. And a real estate agent said he will sell your house for more than anybody else. You deserve more. When it comes to money, when it comes to wealth, our culture is clear. You don't have enough. You don't have anywhere near enough if you really want to be satisfied, if you really want to be happy, you should just have more and more and more. That's the thing that's going to fill the void in your soul. I mean, if you have summer coming up and you're not going to Europe or a beach with a pina colada, what are you doing? When is it going to be enough? 
As we close out our series in Proverbs, we have the opportunity to look at this passage this morning to ask ourselves that question. What does scripture teach is enough? What does it truly look like in a world that teaches us to consume and to consume and to consume, to be content? What is enough? If you have your Bible open, you can follow along as we read, starting in verse 7 of chapter 30. Two things I ask of you. Deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. This is a prayer. These short few verses, something that we could memorize and recite over and over and over to God, a a prayer that would remind us of what it is to be wise. In just a few verses, it summarizes the principles that we've been studying in Proverbs. And it does that in two ways. One, the first is this, uh, to be removed from falsehood, from lying, from deception. In other words, to, to be surrounded by truth. And to have everything that we need but nothing more. I mean, essentially what it's saying is keep me honest and make me middle class. Amen, I guess. But that's not really what the prayer is. As we've been going through Proverbs, we were reminded that uh, the way that we live, the way that we we orient our lives, the, the path that we follow should be a path of truth. Right? And that there are practical realities of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And we've talked about that with sex, and we've talked about that uh, last week with generosity, and we've talked about that with a handful of things in this series. And today we're going to talk about that specifically related to our wealth, to our money, to our finances. See, the reality is, is that money, and this is your first point if you take notes, wealth is practical, but it isn't enough. See, in that prayer, it says, neither give me poverty nor riches. That, that word riches is, is the Hebrew osher. Uh, and, and it really could be just translated wealth. And the first thing as Christians we need to understand, especially from the book of Proverbs, but throughout scripture, is that wealth in itself, right? Wealth meaning like the possessions that we have. That's our paychecks, the money that we have. But it's bigger than that. It's all of the things that we have, the resources that we have at our disposal. It's the, uh, the property that we own. And in, in the time of, of the scriptures being written, it's, it's livestock or, or farmland. It's, it's the resources that we have in order to feed our families and to provide a living and, and to even support others around us it's all of these things combined. It's bigger than a paycheck. It's everything that God has given us to possess and to steward. And as we think about that concept of wealth, we have to remind ourselves that every single one of us has needs. That's okay. Look, some of you are already thinking about what are you going to have for lunch after this? And you're going to go home and you're going to make a grilled cheese or you're going to go out and pay too much for a grilled cheese It has bacon on it. It's good. Um, But you have to eat. 
You need a roof over your head. You need a place to to sleep. You need to protect yourself from the sun in the summer to, to keep warm in the winter. You need transportation to get around to your job and to other places and other things that you have going on in your life. And, and so you have real needs. And the reality is that money is a tool that allows for that to happen a lot more easily than if we were just simply to trade and barter, right? Money becomes a tool that empowers us and enables us to do those things and to do those things in a culture and in a society that we have an agreement to do that with one another. So that the services that you're talented or gifted at, the things that you've worked really hard at being good at, the, 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 the way that you're able to serve a community empowers and enables you to do other things like feed your family, take care of them, take care of yourself. So money has a real practicality to it. And in that sense, Proverbs is pretty clear that if you are working hard and if you're wise, then your wealth will probably increase. That's not a guarantee, right? Pr- practical principles, they're not promises. It's just things that you do. But in uh, Proverbs 3, it says this, verse 16, long life is in her hand, talking about wealth and personifying wisdom. Long life is in her right hand and in her left hand are riches and honor. In other words, the person that is wise and works hard will probably benefit from those things. People will note who they are. They'll they'll recognize their wisdom and want to seek after their advice. They'll they'll look at their hard work and they'll understand that they're good at certain things and they're, they're rewarded for that in different ways. And generally speaking, we see that. Hard work pays off. We hear that all the time. You got to hustle. You got to grind. You got to do more. It's going to be worth it. You're going to benefit from it. And we have practical needs that need to be met. Now, the truth is that for most of us, that's, that's what we have to do, right? We have to work. Now, some of us in our church, it's not enough to work. For, for some of us, we do have needs that aren't being met. For some of us, we have a, a a doubt or a fear that we're able to pay the next bill or that we don't know where the food is going to come from for the next week. Or, and, and for a few of us, that means that, that you really need help. And as a church, we want to care for those people. That's why we have a benevolence fund. Right? That, that's why we have a, a benevolence team that reviews those requests and tries to come alongside people and, and make sure that they, they have those resources that they need because the reality is that our greatest need is a relationship with God. Right? We've been created in the image of God. And so our hearts long to have union with him, to have a relationship with him. It cries out to be satisfied by him more than anything else. And the reality is, is while our hearts cry out for God, it is hard to hear the cry of a longing heart over the groans of an empty stomach. That's what that prayer says, right? Lest I be poor and steal because I'm hungry because I need something and profane the name of my God. Don't give me poverty, God. So we have to recognize that when this passage is being written, when uh, church his, throughout church history and really throughout human history, when people are reciting these verses and memorizing these verses, most people were just trying to survive. Most people lived in this context where there were plenty of impoverished people and very few rich or wealthy. The hope was just to have food for the day, right? The Lord's prayer, give us this day our daily bread. Provide for us, God, all that we need. 
in this passage, what is needful for me. Didn't think that was a word, but it's there. Just give me enough, God. When's the last time you prayed for just enough? Just enough for today. I will worry about tomorrow when it comes. God, just give me enough for now. Give me enough for the week, Lord, or give me enough for for this and the vacation. Give me enough for retirement, God. Just, Just give me enough so that my kids can go to college wherever they would like and so that I can take that trip and buy that boat and just enough, God, so that my coworkers think I'm doing pretty well, so that my neighbors know how hard I work, so that my wife will be encouraged and satisfied with all of her fancy clothes, so that whatever the desire of my heart is, God, that is, that's enough. But not just enough. See, we've, if the reality is that for human history, that people have just been trying to survive, we have to acknowledge that for most of us in this room, whether we're working or retired or honestly, even in college, we have the freedom and resources that's in most people throughout all history. We're the rich. We're the wealthy ones. Do you have a phone in your pocket? Do you have a home that you live in with air conditioning? Do you know what you're going to eat this afternoon or evening? We're wealthy. We're wealthy. Now, we live in a culture that tells us we're not, right? We live in social media and that's telling us that all of these other people have all of these other things. There's so much better lives than we live. There's so much more to strive for. There's so much more to gain. There's so much more to get out of life that we're not experiencing because we're so focused on just trying to work and make ends meet and and have a little bit of extra. But the reality is, is that we're wealthy. Even in our time period today, looking across cultures in our world today, we are wealthy. I've been on 15 mission trips in my life. I've seen people living in, in shacks with corrugated, uh, corrugated metal and, and cinder block without roofs or roofs, however you say it. We're wealthy. But that's still not an indictment, although James is a pretty harsh critic of the wealthy in, in the diaspora. In James 5, he writes this, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. See, in that context, James is writing the letter to the dispersion of churches, right? An idea that Christians are scattered and and Jews have been scattered and and he's writing to Jewish believers who are now in all of these different places because of persecution. And they're starting to have these congregations, these gatherings of people where they're coming together. And as they come together, they're giving people special privileges. They're looking at the clothes they're wearing, the jewelry that they have on that looks pretty nice. And the leaders in these churches are saying, oh, you, 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 come, come sit right here. Come sit next to me. You look like, you look like someone I should know. But at the same time, there's people that don't dress like that, that don't look like that, that don't smell the way that you'd like them to smell. And they cast them off. You should, you should sit over there. It's, it's also very nice. You should sit over there. 
And that's trickling down into the culture of their community, creating this partiality, this separation where the wealthy are honored and the poor are outcast. And so James harshly criticizes those leaders because the reality is, is that that wealth will not last. There is a real practicality to wealth. There is a power to wealth, but, but it won't last. And now all they're doing is storing up everything they can, right? Jesus had a parable about this. The guy who, who had a bumper crop, right? The most you could imagine, he fills his cisterns and he just clings to it. And then he dies that night. Rich, but without God. And now who enjoys the crops? Not him. So wealth is practical, but it is not enough. And staying in James just for one more second, I think it's important to note that our second point, wealth is personal, but it's not our identity. Wealth is personal, but it's not our identity. Wealth is inextricably connected to our life and the experiences that we have. The reality is, is that if you have money, if your income allows it, if your family resources allow it, if, if whatever it is that, that you consider your wealth, if that allows for it, you can have certain types of experiences that other people can't. You, maybe you're not worried about your meals. Maybe you get to take those vacations. Maybe you have multiple houses. Maybe you have a new car. Whatever it is, you have these resources at your disposal that impact the way that you experience life. And again, that's not an indictment. What Proverbs will tell you is that one way or another, that is a gift from God. But it's not who you are. And James 2 puts it this way. My brother, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Galatians says it a different way that there's neither Jew nor Greek nor slave nor free nor male or female because we are all one in Christ. The idea is this. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor or somewhere in that messy middle. Our identity is not rooted in our wealth. Who we are is not our bank accounts or our paychecks or our portfolios. Who we are is Sons and daughters adopted by God. Who we are is people who put our faith in a savior who saves us and, and Jesus is in us and we are in him. We are temples of the Holy Spirit. Our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. We are people who find our identity in Christ, who find our identity in him. It's not the money that we have or, or, or the power that we have or the influence that we have. It's Jesus. That is our identity. That is who we are. That is how we're trying to live. That's why we're studying Proverbs, right? This isn't just like a moralistic series where we say, this is what it looks like to be good. And you need to stop having sex and you need to stop getting drunk and you need to stop doing these things. And then you need to start being more generous and you need to start serving. And it's not a list of to-dos. It's a path of what we want to be because of who we are. It's the lives, the lives and the life that we want to lead because of who Jesus is. He is our identity. And so our wealth isn't our identity. Now our wealth may be personal, but it is not our identity. We're in Christ. He is our wealth, our treasure. And then the last point is this. 
I'm going to read uh, just again that prayer starting in verse 8. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. See, the, the person writing this, they're praying to be somewhere between the two extremes. It's really clear that if you have too much, there is some type of danger in which you will forget God because you don't need him. You have this perception that you only need your own strength, your own might, your own power, and your own wealth. And then there is a danger, like I said before, where you're in such dire straits, where you're in such a need that you will do anything, even neglect your relationship with God and forsake his name to get what you need. But most of us are in between that. Most of us are wrestling with, is this really the best or wisest way to spend my money? Did I save enough for for this stage of life? I'm not sure. I'm I'm anxious about that. And yet I still want to be generous. I still want to be kind. I still want to do things with friends. We're wrestling somewhere in the middle. And the challenge for us in these different seasons and in these stages of life is this. Wealth is powerful, but it's not God. Wealth is powerful, but it's not God. See, God gives us resources to have an impact. The Proverbs teaches us to pray for contentment, to to be content with what God has given us because God has given us resources to have an impact for his kingdom. And the challenge is this, if God continues to give us more, if we continue to make more money, then if we are not content where we are, we're just gonna have greater desires when we get there because it's not gonna be enough. We can get that promotion and get a bigger paycheck and get a bigger house. And then all I want is, oh, but what if I had that vacation home? What if I just could finally buy that truck? It's not enough. See, the challenge is for us to recognize that God hasn't just given us resources for ourselves. He hasn't just given you resources. Again, whatever stage of life you're in for you. He's given you resources to be a steward of, to take care of. And that means to work hard and to invest and to save. Oftentimes when we talk about finances, you'll hear it this way. We wanna give first, save second, live on the rest. What this passage is challenging us to is how small can we get that live on the rest? How big can we get that give? Because what we want to have an understanding of is that God gives us resources to have an impact in this world to have an impact in his kingdom, to have an impact that's bigger than ourselves. And if if he's given you a lot of resources, take that trip, go on that vacation, buy that house, invest that money. I'm not talking about not doing those things. And if you don't have those resources, I'm also not telling you to be ashamed. The only person that Jesus elevated and celebrated for their generosity was the widow who gave two pennies, not because of the amount, but because of her generosity because she understood that the impact for God's kingdom was bigger than the impact for herself. She cared more about building God's kingdom than building her own kingdom. Look, I think the the easiest way for us to just talk about what this looks like is for us to review a little bit. Uh, As your executive pastor, like I spend a lot of time thinking about finances. I spend a lot of time thinking about these things for our church 
uh, for my wife and I, uh, but especially for our church, because I care about our mission. And so I, I just, I put a little bit of a slide, well, Jack put a slide together for us today, just to look at a quick financial review for the year so far. And if you're not into numbers, that's okay. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. If you are into numbers, you'll get an email later this week that actually talks more about it. Because really what I'm trying to focus on is just a couple of things. The first is this. Uh, For the month of April, we saw giving that was generous. And even including an Easter offering that's going to be completely sent out to the GEM Foundation, I think like this week, um, we are able to celebrate that generosity. And so thank you. That's the mission that we're trying to fuel. Things like the GEM Foundation, things like we're doing here today. And the second thing is is this, as the reality is, is a year to date, we're about four months into uh, being one unified church, five months into the year. And if you can see, our budget is not being met. But I'm not here to tell you today to freak out and scare. I'm just trying to be open and honest because what I'm talking about is the mission of our church. And you need to know that as elders, when we started talking about coming together as PBC, and for some of you, this is brand new information, but when we decided that these two churches, Phoenix Bible and Bethany Bible, were coming together, we recognized that this season like this would come. We recognized that there were challenges when two congregations come together, and some people are going to be unsure if they're going to participate financially, in serving, even just showing up on a Sunday morning and attending. And the reality is is that beyond that, there's also economics uncertainty and political uncertainty. And summer is coming in Phoenix, which I'm surprised you guys are still here because it's getting hot. My point is this, we were prepared for this season. And both churches had significant reserves because we believe in the things that we preach. And not only do we give like to missions partners, but we also save because we know that there are seasons where God's provision now is also for the future. And so we have reserves where we can continue to minister in this season and through this time where we can continue to pursue the mission that he's given us and continue to seek after that impact for his kingdom. And yeah, we can't go on like this forever, right? We want to see our giving increase, but I'm not telling you these things because I want you to be anxious or worry about it. I'm telling you these things because I want you to believe in the power of what God has given you to have an impact in his kingdom. Right? Like we are really trying to commit to, our, to commit to a vision where we want to see lives impacted. We want to see your lives impacted, right? If we have this mission as a church to love Jesus and to live like Jesus and to lead, other Jesus, lead others to Jesus, that starts with your life. And if we're pursuing our mission and discipling people and continue to raise them up, what we are going to see is that your marriages are impacted that your marriages become healthier, that those of you that are single will find richer and deeper community, that that those of you that are struggling with loneliness will find friends, that that those of you that have those care needs, whether it be counseling or food, that we're able to come alongside of you and provide for those needs. We will have an impact in your life. That's the mission of our church. But not just for you, but for our city. We have a desire to see an impact in our city through the things that God has given us. Right? It is a result of generations of faithfulness that we have these facilities around us today. Right? It is a result of generations of, of giving and serving that these buildings exist. And, and one of the first things we did as, as a new unified church is we started to paint them. We painted them because that lets the city know that we're here and that we care about the, the resources that God has given us. 
And you're going to continue to see types of changes like that. You're going to see landscaping improvements, and you're going to see kids building improvements. And and we're going to continue to pursue those things in the months and years to come because these buildings are tools, not temples. Our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. These buildings are tools for the ministry of the gospel. They exist so that we can have an impact on our community here and on the community and the city around us. And so we want to do things where we have an impact for people, like having opportunities for people to get more counseling having opportunities for people to have their needs met in word and deed, where services like this, both in English and Spanish, Bible studies in English and Spanish, opportunities for people to hear the gospel and to grow closer in Jesus and closer together, because that is what we are about as a church. We want to meet those needs. But it's not just in our city. It goes beyond the borders of Phoenix. We want to see people impacted in this world. And so we want to be a church that raises up leaders and sends them out to be pastors and ministers and church planters, to be missionaries across the world. That is the hope that we have as a church. That is the mission that we are trying to fuel. That is what we give to because our wealth is powerful. It's not about the amount. It's about the hearts that God has given us to be people who will live on the rest so that we can give and serve and be a part of building his kingdom, not our own. Look, just a couple of things to highlight. Larissa Strawn uh, left on Thursday night. She grew up at Bethany Bible Church. She had an impact on her life as well, where she took numerous short-term mission trips, and now she's committed a year to go serve a church plant in the UK. That's the types of people that we want to raise up and send out. Mike Clark just had this opportunity where he was our youth coordinator. Many of you know him. He grew up again at Bethany. And and we had the opportunity as a staff to pray over him and send him out because now he is a new youth pastor at Palmcroft. That's the mission of our church. Some of you are going to meet Chloe this summer because she's going to be able to visit us from Peru. She's one of our missionaries. And she started going to PBC when she was in college. And then serving and being raised up and being sent back out and with her husband is now a missionary in Peru. That's our vision. We don't want to be a church that just shows up and sings songs. We want to be a church that is about building God's kingdom. And so if you're thinking, is this guy just trying to get me to give? Of course I am. I have a daughter coming next month. (laughs) But not really. I want you to give, but really what I want you to do is I want you to reorient your entire life around Jesus. I want you to understand. All right, we can clap. (laughs) I want you to understand that whatever resources God has given you, whether it's money, time, talent, everything, that God wants us to use it for his glory that God wants us to continually reassess and re-understand and re-acknowledge the blessings that he's given us so that we can be a blessing to others. I want us to understand that what God wants from us is for us to surrender everything to him and to trust that he is going to use it for his good and even for our good. And so I want to pray, give me neither poverty nor riches, give me only Jesus and I will take whatever he gives me. I want you to join in on that. And so, yeah, I want you to give and I want you to serve and I want you to pray and I want you to build relationships with people. If you don't meet somebody new today, I'm going to be really disappointed in you. 
Like just as your pastor right now, I'm, I'm challenging you. I, I understand if you're an introvert, I'm an introvert. My wife's an introvert. You can meet somebody new today and just tell them who you are. Look for an unfamiliar face. It may be their first time. Maybe it's your first time. Be bold. You can do it. Because we want to impact lives. That is why we're here. We want to change people's lives. And I want you to be a part of that. Look, I'm not trying to get anything from you. I'm trying to do something for you. It's like I said, our greatest need is a relationship with God. And we've been separated by him by sin and by our own decisions and by our own fruit, uh, fruit faithlessness. And the reality is, is that God has done everything he can to reconcile that relationship with us. Philippians 2 tells us that Jesus didn't see uh, it worth, uh, didn't see the likeness of God being grasped after. It wasn't something to hold on to or to cling to. He was willing to give that up and to come down to earth and sacrifice himself for our sake so that we could be reconciled to God. In other words, we surrender all to Jesus because he gave up everything for us. Today, we're gonna to be taking the opportunity to take communion together. It's a remember what he did for us on the cross, the sacrifice with his body broken and the blood shed the salvation that we have in him. But that salvation didn't start on the cross. It started with him being willing to lay down his crown and choose the cross over that crown and to come down and to save us. And so I'll invite the ushers up and the band up. And as they come up, I want you to reflect on this. If you are a believer, if you put your faith in Jesus, if you have trusted in him, I want you to reflect on the sacrifice that he's made for you and to ask him to challenge you in what type of sacrifice he wants you to make for him and for his kingdom. And if you're not a believer, if all of this sounds crazy, if you really think that money is just gonna solve your problems, I'm glad you're here today because I don't think it will, but I think Jesus does. And so I want to encourage you that as we pass the plates for communion in just a moment, you have the opportunity to let it pass, but don't let this moment pass. Reflect on what we've talked about. Reflect on this passage and just reflect as the path that you've been taking really solved your problems. Or maybe Jesus is a path that really does. Has the things that you put your value in really satisfied you? Or maybe it's Jesus that could really do that. Let's pray. God, we are so grateful that we could gather together, Father, to sing your praises, to reflect on your word, God, to be encouraged and to be challenged. Father, I ask that you would help us to understand that everything that you've given us, whether small or great, is an opportunity for us to steward for your kingdom and your glory, for our good and the good of others. God, I pray that as we reflect on the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross for us, that his willingness to humble himself and descend into us and take on flesh and live among us was a willingness to surrender everything to your will. God, I pray that as we remember that today, that you would also challenge us to seek after that boldness for ourselves because your sacrifice has saved us and reconciled us to us. God, we pray that you would help us to be confident in that and in humility pursue following that. 
by example in our life and to be an example to others in their lives. In Jesus' name, amen.